Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Huddersfield Town tend to promise a pret-a-manger but end up delivering a stone-cold shit sandwich. You know, that, that is pretty much what we, what we do. Welcome back to It's Always Us with me, James Regal, and... Me, Jamie McDonald. How are you, James? You all right, mate? I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Uh, it's a shame we're, we're not sat next to each other this time. We're, we're across uh, uh, a Zoomed table, I guess, listener. Uh, we're sitting as far away as we can. Yeah, we're, we're, we're taking the COVID uh, regulations ultra-seriously. Um, Plus, I just I don't know how long I can be with an Arsenal fan in my vicinity. <laughs> so, look, we've been away. Uh, we've been away for a few weeks. Had some holiday yeah. time, some time to reflect. You had a nice time mm. off, Jamie. I did. Yeah, I managed to to, to get away uh, for a couple of days to a nice uh, spot with a nice beach and pool. So it was, you know, the real holiday experience. And it got terribly burned as well. So you know, ticked all the boxes. What about yourself? proper Brit. So I've not actually been outside of, of Spain uh, because why would I? I've got oh. sun, sea and, and sand here. So uh, yeah, but it's been nice to have a, a little break. Um, but happy to be back. Happy to have some great guests uh, today and, and lined up. Uh, before we get onto this week's show, of course, we have to thank our sponsor, the Natural Barber Company. Natural Barber Company do all natural uh, hair products, and grooming products, um, to be honest, mate, I, I, I do love this product. I have it in my bathroom. Mm-hmm. I, my friends will tell you, like, I'm a bit obsessed with my hair because, like, it's just thick and annoying and nothing works in it. And it is nice to actually just finally find something that makes me look half presentable. I don't know if you'll agree. I think I look all right with it. And, and look, because it's, because it's got no chemicals, it's got no, no nasties in it, basically. Like, it's great in the summer when you're sweating, maybe you're out for a run, maybe it's on the beach. Your sweat drips down with a product in your sweat and it gets in your eyes and it burns. So this stuff, there's none of that. Good. It's superb. But it's not just me who uses it. Because no? they have a brand ambassador, as we know, regular listeners, Mr. Gareth Bale. And speaking... <laughs> Of Gareth Bale. If I come on to Gareth Bale, I'll come on to Gareth Bale. I'll come on to it now. I'll come on to it now. Today is the day, as we're recording, that Gareth Bale is about to be announced as a Spurs player once again. And I'm not afraid, uh, not ashamed to say, as a 37 and a half year old man, that I feel like a little kid on Christmas Day. <laughs> I'm so excited. So excited. Are you going to buy your little uh, Bale little doll thing? To, to... I'm going to buy Bale. Bile? Buy, bail everything. Yeah. Shirt, the toys, whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, if it's good enough for bail, this product is good enough for me, certainly. Um, and they've been very kind in offering our listeners a 25% off uh, purchase online plus free next day UK delivery. Uh, so just go to naturalbarber.co uh, and enter always us 25 
uh, at checkout and you'll get some beautiful, beautiful hair products to make nice. you look as good as me and Gareth Bale. <laughs> who have we, who are joining us this week? Well, actually, I should say that I, due to some, some unfortunate work-related circumstances, I won't be participating in the pod this week, I'm afraid. So sorry, Jamie, all the Jamie fans out there. Uh, unfortunately, I won't be here. And James, you, you were a little bit under the weather, right? Yeah, so apologies, Jamie's mum, that Jamie isn't in this interview. Uh, yeah, we had, to, we, 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 had, we, we had to accommodate our guests, and unfortunately, Jamie was working, uh, which is more than you can say for my unemployed ass right now. Um, so yeah, Jamie wasn't there, but I struggled through without him. But as he said, yeah, apologies for this. My voice sounded like I just smoked about 50 cigarettes. I don't know what happened. I literally woke up that morning, couldn't speak properly. But for you guys, for our listeners, I struggled through. I struggled through. Good man. Uh, I think we got, we got a good podcast. It was, uh, we got two Huddersfield fans, uh, Matt and Graham, um, oh. telling Patrick. us all about... What's that? Patrick Stewart. Yeah, sorry. He wasn't available. Well, he wasn't available. I missed it now. Yeah. But, you know, Matt, <laughs> Matt and Graham were, were, were worthy substitutes for, uh, oh. for Captain... I don't know what Captain, Captain Picard is. I don't know. I don't do Star Trek, man. I don't <laughs> do Star Trek. So yeah, I think that's uh, that's quite enough from from you and I. Let's uh, let's crack on with the show. Huddersfield Town. Here we go. So welcome, uh, Graham Rayner and Matt Shaw to It's Always Us. Thanks very much for joining us, guys. Hi. How you doing over there? And so, Graham, you said you live just outside Huddersfield. Matt, are you you a Huddersfield boy, or are you uh, just outside as well? Uh, not really. Um, I'm a Huddersfield fan through uh, family, so fourth generation. Um, I grew up uh, near Cleckheaton, which isn't too far from Graham, uh, but I, I currently reside in Leeds, so I'm uh, beyond them mm. lines, if you like, at the minute. Dirty Leeds. We'll get we'll get to them <laughs> a bit later. Um, and yeah, just to explain what you so, Matt. Um, you run a, run a podcast called Takes That Chance, the Huddersfield Town podcast. Want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I, I used to, when I was growing up, I always wanted to, um, to be a football commentator. That was my dream when I was a kid. That You know, when you're 13, 14, 15 years old, you know, you want to be the next John Motson, whatever, Clive Tildesley, etc. Uh, but it never really happened. But I, I, I got into sort of blogging and bits and bats throughout Um and then uh, I, I got into uh, football coaching and scouting. I ended up scouting for Huddersfield Town uh, for their academy at, at one point, which was a lot of fun uh, over sort of eight or nine years. And then um, me and my other half, we started our own family. And uh, the time to commit to uh, to football was became less, if you like. Uh, so I needed another outlet for my uh, for my uh, football love of football so we started a podcast uh, a couple of years ago called Andy takes that chance which is the the commentary moment from when uh, from when Christopher Schindler puts the ball uh, in the net at Wembley against Reading to get us promoted to the Premier League it's, it's our uh, if you like it's very similar to the old Kenneth Wilson home and they think it's all over it's it's a it's a copy basically uh, yeah so we started a couple of years ago it's gone quite well um, we've got Graham on before to do little bits and skits here and there and uh, it's good. It's it's doing really well. There's uh, we, it's been taken to uh, really well by the Huddersfield fan base, and we we're lucky that we've got uh, the fan base that we do who uh, who actually tolerates the amount of rubbish that we spout. So it's it's all good fun. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. And and just on the scouting, who's who's the best player you ever scouted for Huddersfield? 
I scoured loads of good ones, but none of them ever came. <laughs> that was part of the problem. Um, uh, let me think. The best player... Uh, the, the problem is when, when you're doing scouting, it's mostly at young levels. So you're looking at ages six, seven, eight, nine. So a lot of them probably who were good have probably only got to like 15, 16, 17. So naming them doesn't feel particularly right, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a couple that went on to be a professional. Um, uh, Ify or Fuegbu went to Chesterfield, became a pro, but I think he's, he's dropped out now. And uh, a couple of others, and sadly none left at Huddersfield now, their academy's disbanded. But um, probably the best one that I never got in at, um, at Huddersfield is uh, probably a player called Noan Kenner, who's at Leeds now. Uh, and he's uh, playing for England schoolboys and youth teams, and he's been monitored by PSG and all sorts. And it's one of those where you you see you, you go watch a game, and he's um, he'll, he'd pick up the ball in defence, run round everybody, put it in the net, start, do it again, do it again. And it was it was just ridiculous how above the level he was. And uh, sadly, I could never get into Huddersfield for one thing or another. But uh, he's he's doing well now, so that's the main thing really that happens. And it's all, it's all about the, the the kids themselves and making sure they get the opportunities. So I'm happy to see he's doing well. That's really interesting. And Graham, tell us about yourself. Yeah, um, I don't um, spend my time watching kids the way Matt does. Um, I'm uh, internet <laughs> history says different, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I'm, I'm in my spare time. I'm sort of a, a semi-pro stand-up comic, and started doing stand-up comedy a couple of years ago, um, and um, I've just sort of been doing that on the side, aside from my full-time job, um, and that's growing. It's taken a bit of a kick in this year because of of the covid but um it's starting to come back now um until the next lockdown whenever that is um so it's just coming back now but that that's kind of the thing that i really enjoy but I, i've written a few bits for the the takes that chance website and you know a few few articles on there and contributed there and, and huddersfield town really are um you know a good distraction from other things most of the time but the last couple of years it's been painful really so um, I'm not sure why I agreed to go on and talk about other painful moments from our history um because it just feels like some sort of bizarre um self-flagellating thing of you know just just remind ourselves about some of our worst moments but I think the one thing about town fans that Matt agrees we've realized over the years that you have to laugh um otherwise you're screwed that's therapy isn't it Graham yeah, absolutely. And and to be honest, the thing I'm missing most about the football, it, about going to the football, isn't the football. It's the we've got a good crowd, and the, certainly the people I sit with, we have a, we have a, a good laugh most of the time, and and that's what I'm missing most of the moment, really. Yeah. So you, you need a good sense of humour to be a Huddersfield fan. Is that we say. Oh, Jesus! Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Or a good therapist, I think that's the other side. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully that this this session will will be a bit like therapy for you guys. Um, a lot of the fans around the clubs they've, they've said they've come away feeling a bit more enlightened a bit more reflective about some of the bad times so hopefully we can get through this together um, so before we get on to that let's quickly touch on this season that's well it's only just kicked <laughs> off um, some cursory research tells me you've lost your opening game um, which is obviously not a great start as a Spurs fan I, I fully sympathise with that <laughs> Hmm. Um, but what are your, your hopes for the season? Because it, it looks like you're kind of being written off and a lot of people are tipping you to go down again. That's probably fair. Um, we, last season, we spent the season kind of circling the plug hole, as it were, um, and, and very late on managed to, to get over the line. Um, and this season, if we, if we carry on 
in the same vein you know how long can we get away with it for i suppose but we've we've done some interesting um business in the transfer window not a lot um but also we seem to have done an awful lot of procrastinating in the transfer window as well like a lot of clubs um it's weird to think that we've still got something like three weeks of the transfer window left when we've been used to the last couple of years it, it's done and dusted when you start so i don't it's hard to know because it, our current chairman is getting a bit of grief from the town fans um, about his apparent reluctance to uh, invest any money. Um, he's, he's running the risk of becoming our version of Mike Ashley a little bit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks. It's probably more important what happens off the pitch over the next three weeks than what happens on it, to be honest. You've you got that. long out of the Premier League, right? So, is, is there any of that Premier League money still floating around <laughs> in the coffers, or has it all been pissed up the wall? Um, well, there's some. Matt Mo probably not, understands more of the mechanics of that than I do. I was staying um, quiet, so I didn't have to say anything. So, thanks for that, Grim. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it's gone gone by way of um, paying debts to the former owner, which some town fans uh, begrudge. I don't. He he invested money with no real expectation of getting back, and then. We won the lottery, um, so we should pay him back. But I think at the same time as that, there should be enough in the kitty to to do more than bring back players on free transfers who weren't that successful first time at the club, like Danny Ward. Um, we've brought him back on a free. He might do better this time. But, you know, it's been kind of uninspiring and underwhelming. And my analogy is that it feels like we won the lottery and then all we've got to show for it is kind of a framed ticket on the, on the wall of a crumbling house. Um, that's kind of where it feels like we're at at the moment. Uh, maybe that's not very optimistic, though. I don't know about you, Matt. What do you think? Um, well, we won the lottery and then spent it, I thought, um, but and spent it quite badly. Uh, and and that's what we that's where we find ourselves now. It, the, the problem with the football club was that, um, and I don't think a lot of Huddersfield fans, or well, not a lot, but I don't think there's a, there's some Huddersfield fans quite understand what a miracle it was that David Wagner took us up that season from the championship. His wage budget was 11.6 million, the fourth lowest in the division. And when you take a, a club with that budget and the infrastructure like we had, we have uh, interns working in the recruitment team, for example, you know, people on gap years from university. Um, it's not, it's not a, a, com- a, com- a company, if you like, it's not a football club that is set up for success in the Premier League. And uh, David Wagner, I believe, took this club almost kicking and screaming into the Premier League, a place where it wasn't fit for behind the scenes. And we didn't improve the infrastructure behind the scenes, not at all. In fact, it got worse. We, we lost our director of football. Uh, we rather arrogantly went without a director of football and uh, a, a rudder, if you like, for six months at a time. Um, it, was, it was poor decision-making from, from the board. Uh, and uh, we never, like I said, we never invested in the infrastructure. When we, when that penalty went in on the way home uh, from Wembley, I remember saying to a mate, I was saying, you know, the best thing that we could do now is go and nick every scout from Brentford. That, that's the, and Peterborough, that's the best thing we could do. And we didn't. And um, it took 12 months, but after 12 months, we paid for it with uh, ridiculously poor recruitment. And we're still paying that price now. We, we can't get rid of these players. They're on big money and they are... Um, it's not their fault, you know. We, we had a chief exec who went and agreed the fee, the transfer fees, but we paid. I think one example is we brought Terence Congolo in on loan, who was amazing, really. That that time when we brought him in on loan looked fantastic on the fringe of the Dutch squad, signed him permanently, but in a position that we didn't really need to strengthen. It didn't need major surgery. Uh, we went out, you know, we already had uh, two centre backs who were decent. Spent eighteen million quid on him, 
and that money should have been used elsewhere for for better players, you know, in more of an attacking sense. And it was just the lack of a coherent plan which has really put us in the mess that we're in at the minute. And it's going to take uh, a lot more time to get out of it. So Graham's right about circling the plug hole. I like that analogy. Um, I'd probably use something else other than plug hole though that we're circling because you know it, potentially we could be back in League One this time next year and League One wasn't much fun last time we are in it and especially with the wage cap that's going on there at the minute it's it's not something I want to see is, is, is constantly trying to cut players to try and meet a a, a wage bill that um, that suits there's not much fun in that so hopefully the new coach can take us in the right direction improve some of those players and we can avoid it because I think if we can avoid it over the next 12 months we'll be in a much better place but the next 12 months are a certain uh, certain crossroads for us yeah, it sounds like uh, precarious times. Um, really like hard and up. Told you it'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, this might this uh, this might make things worse. I don't know, but I I couldn't not ask you this. But obviously, your uh, your big rivals, Leeds United, are uh, on a different trajectory at the moment. I just wanted to know what you guys make of the current massive Leeds slash Bielsa loving because they seem to be everyone's second club again. I don't really understand. I wouldn't that. say, I, say like I, I wouldn't say second club. I think, to be honest, they're they're having a good time. Um, for, you know, they they've left us behind. Fair play to them. They deserve everything that they've got. Um, yeah. Marcelo Bielsa is great. I think everybody likes him. Um, uh, with Leeds United second club, I, d- I don't really buy that. But I think people are uh, enjoying the football that they bring, and uh, and fair play. You know, they've uh, they deserve to get where they've got to um based on what they've done over the last few years you know no no qualms this side. He's, he's a bit of a miracle worker isn't he Bielsa? i mean he's managed to make patrick bamford's played one and scored one in the premier league he's <laughs> yeah, doing great i, th- I think it's that, like hallelujah times you know what i mean he's, yeah the, the the sycophantic loving from some of the media is a little bit yeah. bit painful because it's but again this is what we're living in now it's it's a world which is fishing for the likes isn't it and a lot of the stuff that's coming from talk sport is very much you know, sort of trying to provoke, try and prompt, you know, reaction and, and like and stuff. And it's, it's just, you know, you, you get used to it and you just kind of like. I, I do think they're going to struggle more than people expect them to, though. I think it will be, they'll have a, a, a solid enough start, but I don't think they'll maintain it. And I think that the big six or seven, and I would, I would include Spurs in that, I think the big six or seven when they come up against Leeds, although Liverpool you know, didn't defend very well in the first game. They still scored four four goals, read it, you know, and, and made a meal of it, but they put four past them. And I think that that'll be the area where Leeds might struggle against the big guys. I think that the way they, they've sort of, they all flow forwards, I think the big guys might pick them off at will the other way. So I think it, the, the way Leeds are going to have to stay up is, is like any other promoted team, is, is results against the other 10 teams that could go down. Um so it'll be interesting to see, but I, I predict they'll struggle. I predict they, they, they may well still be in a relegation battle and everyone else thinks they're going to do a Wolves. So I don't think they're going to do a Wolves. So. Wishful thinking, eh? Uh, so look, enough about your rivals. Sorry about that. But I was just interested to, to hear your perspective. Hmm. Um, let's get on to, to the main topic of the show, really, which is, yeah, uh, the therapy session on Huddersfield Town. So before we start recording, you guys told me you had a, you had a few incidents or, or occasions in mind so let's uh maybe if i go to you graham to start with uh, with the first one yeah i don't know which one I, which one i might go for first i think um there's a couple that i could lump together actually which is about managerial appointments and um, that we've made over the years that and certainly the years i've been following town that have ended up kind of 
biting us on the backside, really. Um, so um, the, the the one I looked at initially was uh, you you definitely won't remember this, James, because it wouldn't have been on your radar. Um, but back in two thousand and seven, um, we we sacked club legend Peter Jackson for the second time. He'd been manager twice, and he was he's probably the only old school, the most successful in the in my lifetime old school town manager in the you know he achieved promotion from from what was then the third division to division two on you know we started the season with something like eight or nine registered professionals we had a, a really cringeworthy marketing campaign with our youth team um called the young guns campaign where they managed to get all of our youth team players in quite a, a kind of a, a, a homoerotic cowboy poster with all the you know that mountain, wasn't it it was very broke back before broke back, but he got them up and he got them over the line. And then, and then we sort of, you know, it, it lingered on for a bit. He, he was never going to get us up again. And so we sacked him. And then the appointment we were making was um, Phil Parkinson, who was at the time the um, assistant manager to, I think, Alan Pardew at Charlton um, when Charlton were in the Premier League. And we appointed, we'd interviewed various people. We appointed him um, he agreed to come. And then, on the morning of the press conference where he was due to be unveiled as our bold, new, exciting young guy getting given a really good first chance at proper management, um, he rang with an hour and a quarter to go and said he was staying at Charlton after it had all been agreed. And in our wisdom as a club, we decided that we would go ahead with the press conference to unveil him as manager with an empty chair um, and kind of use that as an opportunity to to kind of slag him off a bit and say how disgusted we were that he'd let us down at that sort of short notice. Now, first of all, I'm sure stuff like that happens a lot in football where people get really close to signing a contract and then don't sign a contract. But also, I think that it just goes to show that element of, at the time, we thought, yeah, we'll show them and we'll and and we just ended up looking like a bunch of clowns. Um, and the only thing I've, <laughs> I've had 13 years to think about it, and the only thing I can think is that in years ago on Have I Got News For You, Roy Hattersley, who was a, a Labour politician, regularly cancelled on Have I Got News For You late on, to the point where they had to routinely draft in last-minute guests to replace him. And and uh, one time they said sorry, they'd had enough, and they actually uh, put a tub of lard on in his place next to Paul Merton as an empty chair, and Paul Merton would occasionally discuss the answer with this tub of lard. And I can only think that they thought this would be hilarious, but... We had Ken Davy, who's a rugby chairman running a football club, um, and and we didn't have Paul Merton, so we just ended up looking like a bunch of dickheads, really. Um, and and you know he's gone on; he's not been a brilliant manager since, but he could have potentially done a good job. And then to, to add insult to injury, what we did was we went to the next guy on the list, Andy Ritchie, who'd also been interviewed and had to kind of say so he had to come in as a manager, knowing that everyone knew he wasn't first choice. Um, and kind of so it's just a bit embarrassing really and, and we've made a few of those kind of appointments or handled things a little bit like that over the years where you just think someone needs to have a word here because we're looking a bit of a laughing stock I don't know for me you're totally right of course this is something they shouldn't have done but I quite admire that level of pettiness to be honest with you if we so pulled the it only off. thing that could have topped that, Graham, is if the actual chair had, had its own name template yeah. there, you know, empty chair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's the only thing that could have topped that I think I think I admire the the intent, but the execution of it was so piss poor that that we ended up looking worse than he did for effectively 
not having the ball to take on the manager's job and stay assistant to Alan Pardew. What, if we'd managed to do it right, these days you could imagine a, a sort of a, a sassy Twitter video, a reveal of an empty chair and stuff like that on Twitter, and maybe it would work. But it's a bit like the, the other one I was going to talk about, the other thing I was going to talk about was the Paddy Power shirt incident last year. And 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 that was where, again, we had kind of a... we. I think we thought we were going to look really good, but actually the other party looked brilliant. So Paddy Power said, we'll sponsor your shirt, but not have our name on it, which in principle is a great campaign. But then we had this fake shirt with a look, look like a, a beauty pageant sash on it and everyone was taking the piss out of us. And, and then we got fined for wearing that shirt in a pre-season friendly and everyone was laughing at us with Paddy Power. And again, somewhere in our business, someone's gone, this will be a great idea. And then 12, fast forward 12 months, Paddy Power have pissed off into the sunset and we've still not got a sponsor this season. So it, a few bits like that where you just think we've opened both barrels up and shot ourselves squarely in the feet, really. So, Matt, this, this is interesting because what you said earlier about there's a certain sort of amateur level across parts of the club. Is is this a bit of a hallmark of Huddersfield in the last 10, 20 years of sort of um, there's not someone there running it properly? Or is, is this just the pitfalls? Do you know, I'd, 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 I'd stick up for a lot of people who work at I think there's a lot of good people that work at Huddersfield. It's a good community club um, with some good people working there. But sometimes some of the decisions can be... <laughs> can be a little bit ropey um the paddy power thing i didn't mind it too much i i i, I, I thought it was quite funny in, in some respects but where it kind of got a bit daft was when uh the referee accused our chairman of trying to get him to or, or try and uh, co-conspire into getting the game abandoned for extra publicity and and that was uh i believe he was charged with that i don't think he was found guilty but when things like that come out you kind of think oh now no, no, this doesn't look great and and all those people that, you know, sort of work on a lower level at Huddersfield in the community, they're all great. But the Paddy Power thing was definitely a concoction between the uh, the former... Um, we should have at least got commercial Paddy director, Power to pay the fine. Sean. <laughs> you know yeah, the, the Paddy Power didn't even pay the fine for us as well. That was, <laughs> <laughs> that was, the, that was the great thing. It was their stunt. And, we ended up out of pocket. And, you know, it's just stuff like that. Just... Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I, I, I would stick up for a lot of people that work at Huddersfield. Having being behind the curtain a little bit, not massively, but a little bit. There are some really good people that have worked there and uh, maybe they didn't, maybe they've, uh, they've fallen under uh, the, the direction of people higher up on that occasion. But Sean, Sean Jarvis, who did, who did great work for us for 12 years, he was the commercial director and, and he's done some great work there, but I don't think Paddy Powell will be uh, remembered as his, uh, as, his, as his finest moment, I don't think. But, you know, he wasn't that bad. I guess. <laughs> so was that, I mean, you said there was a couple of managerial things. Yeah. So the other one was, was, uh, uh, I was going to say, Graham, I think this feeds in well into one of my points, doesn't it? Cause I kind of go into a, a year of misery, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there was another manager, but I don't want to steal or jump in James. Or well, anything, if I talk but... about Jan and then you talk about the bigger picture, is that all right? So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so David, David Wagner, who Matt mentioned earlier, you know, he was, and uh, Again, some people feel his memory's been a bit kind of soured by the way he left the club. He left the club when the chairman was was medically very, had, had been very ill for a while. He'd, he'd had pancreatitis and had been really at death's door a couple of times by all accounts. And But but supposedly he had said quite a bit earlier that he wanted to leave and that he'd been asked to stay. And then things sort of seemed to go a little bit sour behind the scenes. And I think that it seemed like he knew we were pretty much guaranteed to be getting relegated and and 
he was going to be leaving at the end of the season anyway. So why not get out of the way so the club can appoint a successor and rebuild? Um, was that's how I read the the position anyway. So he left the, in the sort of the December January time, um, and we appointed. You know, I think a lot of town fans were hopeful that we might look at. Okay, we've had the the German experiment. We've had the you know the we've appointed everyone. It was always referred to as Klopp's best mate. Um, we're unlikely to get lucky again, as Matt said. You know, it was a miracle, and lightning doesn't really strike twice. So let's go for someone while we're in the Premier League. Let's attract someone who can steady the ship, be pragmatic about it. You know, people were talking about the likes of Sam Allardyce and names like that. Not going to be someone that turns me on particularly, but those kind of names. And we appointed... Um, with the pints of Gravy on Instagram. Say again? Not even with the pints of Gravy that he has. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sam Allardyce is a lot of things, but a sexy man he is not. Um, so, um, But then we appointed, I think he was 33 or 34-year-old, who'd never really run a first team anywhere in Jan Sievert, who was, the, I think, the third uh, manager from Borussia Dortmund's second team to be recruited by an English team. So we had Wagner had come to us, Fark had gone to Norwich. And I think we suddenly thought, well, we'll just keep, you know, was there anyone who was on the training ground with those two at any point? Who put the cones out for them? Right, we'll get this guy. And supposedly we'd had him earmarked as, a, as one for the future. But then we decided that the future didn't matter. We'll just bring him in now. And and it really backfired. I don't know if you remember, James, there was a game against Man City on the TV where they thought they'd spotted the new manager in the crowd and it was a guy that ran the local hospice <laughs> called Martin from Wakefield. So the, this was another element where I think Paddy Powell got involved again because they were sponsoring us. So they thought they'd spotted this guy and it was just a, a local guy who happened to be at the game who looked a bit like him, but they kept focusing on him, saying this is the new manager. And it wasn't. It was just some guy that was there on a charity. I think free tickets for a charity. In hindsight, um, he might have done a better job. Um, and potentially some of the patients from that hospice could have been recruited into the squad at that time because the way the squad played under Jan Sievert was so diabolical that, that they couldn't have done any worse, frankly. But apparently what happened was he came in, no one knew who he was, even Sky couldn't recognise him you know, from some random... He didn't have a Wikipedia page or anything. He didn't, he didn't even have a Wikipedia yeah. page. Um, and he came in and started telling, you know, in, international players or Premier League players that they, they were shite and, and, you know, really sort of acting the big I am and, and immediately alienated the very people he needed to do to be a success in his job. So, again, we just shot ourselves in the foot. We had an opportunity to do something and, and that set us back. He won one game out of 19 games. And I, I believe that game was a dead rubber. I'm not sure. I think we were all, were we already down wolves. when he won the. Oh, no, well, wolves at home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We did the double. Well, we double always beat win. wolves. That, that's the thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you know, it was just a, a beyond belief thing. I think there were players in the squad older than him, and certainly everybody in the squad had achieved more than him as a footballer because he retired at 22. So it was you know, just a beggared belief, really. So that was my my thing. It, very typical of us. We went with a, an, it felt like a knee-jerk decision without really thinking it through. And then we decided we had to stick with it as long as, as, long as possible. He should have been sacked sooner. Um, and it's quite typical of us. Um, which meant that last year when we sacked Danny Cowley, when he'd actually by any measure been successful, <laughs> was quite a shock. And so when, when he was initially appointed then, were you in, immediately sceptical or were, was there a, a thought of, oh, if we unearthed another, 
another gem here. Uh, yeah, well, we were running the podcast at this point and we were wanting uh, what we felt we needed was an experienced uh, an experienced coach because the, the, in terms of confidence, the, the team was on its backside badly. Um, there was no confidence, no, uh, very little direction. Once David Wagner had gone, very little direction, as Graham's alluded to. Uh, the chairman, incredibly ill for that season, and he was a huge figure behind the scenes, you know, a really popular figure behind the scenes. Uh, and uh, the club just lacked any form of direction. It was it was really sort of, th- there was a quote, wasn't there, Graham, from uh, the chairman who must have delivered from his hospital bed, which was, we will not sleepwalk into relegation. Mm-hmm. And then we went and got a, a PE teacher from Borussia Dortmund and it didn't work. Well, I, I felt I felt for Jan Ziva. I liked the guy quite a lot, yeah. but he, he was so far out of his depth, and it, it was it was really bad. And um, the 2018 year is 2018-19 seasons on on my list as well, James. Of, of my my three, it was my third choice one, if you like. I, I can go into a bit more detail if you want to. to yeah, go ahead, mate. Through it, yeah. So it makes sense now. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Most of, most of my selections anyway, there's sort of an underlying theme with mine whereby I don't I try not to sort of focus on one decision or anything that may have cost us. Um, and, but the, the sort of continued theme is that Huddersfield Town tend to promise a pret-a-manger but end up delivering a stone-cold shit sandwich. You know, that, that is pretty much what we, what we do. Um, I think we, as Huddersfield fans, we can be a pretty sort of apathetic bunch. Um, but... We were kind of made this way by years of what we think are sort of underachievement and missed opportunities. Uh, so I'd say that we no longer get suckered in by any sort of spin or nonsense. And we, we talk ourselves down quite a lot. And, you know, people will go, oh, I just feel it's a rubbish little club, isn't it? And we'll go, yeah, it is. <laughs> so we're, we're a very sort of strange bunch. When, when it's not really in truth, it's, um, but we're, we're a very sort of apathetic, we can be, but we've, we've been made this way by, uh, by the years of bitterness, if you like. And, and some of my options, uh, some of my selections go back a hundred years this is how bitter and twisted we are and uh, but in terms of this season the 2018-19 season the the previous season the 17-18 is is one of the best seasons we've had in, in modern history it was an amazing season um we stayed up we needed uh, two points to stay up in the last three games we had Chelsea and Man City away uh, Man City this is Man City looking for 100 points to win the league uh, and uh, we denied them it we went to Man City um to the Etihad to be honest, it felt like a bit of a procession because they just won the league and I don't think they were fully at it. But we, we went there and we, we really scrapped a point and then we went to Chelsea who needed to win in midweek to get uh, Champions League football. And uh, we got a one-all draw. It was an, an amazing back-to-the-wall performance and some of the you know, best nights of our modern history, uh, for sure. It was, it was amazing. And that meant the Arsenal game was, uh, was a dead rubber, you know, Arsene Wenger's farewell game. Um, which was probably the game we played best in, even though we yeah, lost. Yeah, we did all right, but we lost, didn't we? <laughs> it was it's sort of a, a theme that keeps coming back. Um, but yeah, the, the problem what um, I've alluded to is that that great season was done mostly without a, a director of football from October to the summer. Um, David Moss came in from Celtic. It looked a great appointment and then left very quickly under strange uh, unknown circumstances. Well, there could be anything. It could be just a disagreement. Or it could be, you know, we, we don't know. It could be anything. Um, so with a team sort of full of interns and inexperienced recruitment analysts and a head coach in David Wagner, quite happy to let others do sort of hard yards and signings. Um, everything looked great. You know, David Wagner signed a new contract that summer, 2018. It looked like, you know, we survived in the Premier League and all of a sudden there's a slight expectation that Huddersfield Town could stabilize. We could go somewhere. Um, some of the names that we were linked with that summer is frightening now when you look back <laughs> you know who who we were linked with. You know, I've got some Adama Triari who came close to what Wolves obviously pipped us. 
Uh, Jordan Shakiri got blown out by Liverpool. Uh, Alfonso Davies, who's just won the um, Champions League with Bayern Munich. Um, no one knew who he was when he was linked. Um, Andre Silva, Piatek, all these names linked. And it was such, it was a genuinely ex- exciting time, especially after we've had 45 years of rubbish. We, you know, we hadn't been in the top flight since, uh, let me think, 72. And that was a, a complete mess that year as well. Uh, and we ended up shelling out on Terence Congolo, Adama Diakabi, Isaac and Benza. Um, there's almost 50 million pounds worth of signings there. And like I said before about Congolo, you know, we spent 18 million on a position we probably didn't, really need to strengthen or needed major surgery and the two wingers were were diabolical and we're still sort of paying for for that at the moment um but we we were performing okay that season Graham will remember we were performing okay we played Wolves away on Sky and like we say we always beat Wolves and you know we went to went to Molyneux and uh, I remember that game because Aaron Moy completely outshone the uh the midfielder whose name's just escaped me the really good central midfielder from Portugal that they've got he's um his name will come back to me shortly anyway. Neves. Um, which Martinho. one, sorry? Neves, Martinho. Neves, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. and Aaron Moy was amazing that game. That Scott was the game goals. where I, I remember that game and I remember turning to my father-in-law as a, as a town fan as well and I just said, we're staying up. I watched that game and like you say, Moy was at it yeah. and I just said, well, we'll be fine. We're staying up. Yeah, and we've got Eric Derman. We thought we'd for about Eric. three months. Yeah, <laughs> well, we'd signed Eric Derman. We thought we had a World Cup winner, but when you looked into it a little bit more, he did nothing more than carry the waters. He never got on the pitch for a second, so but it was okay. Um, but yeah, so the, the the sort of the main game whereby everything really that we'd built up, you know, I mentioned before about the the twelve million wage budget, which went up to twenty two with bonuses and and whatnot. Um, but that bridging the gap from where we were, the fourth lowest budget in the Championship, to competing in the Premier League. It's such a huge, huge gap. And I don't particularly blame anybody at Huddersfield for, for, do, for not being able to bridge it because it's such a difficult thing to do. You know, it's, it's, it's very sort of understandable. Um, but the, the, the sort of flashpoint, if you like, where it all unraveled was a game on the 1st of December. Uh, and Graham will remember this. There's a game whereby uh, things went wrong for us. We went into the game in 15th place on 10 points um, against Brighton at home. Uh, after a couple of minutes, we took Zanka put us in the lead. And uh, at that point, you know, you can look at your live in play of where everything is and everything looks great. Uh, at that point, we were on 13 points, two points from 11th place and everything looked great. And then all of a sudden, Michael Oliver gave the old hold my beer sort of comment. Didn't he? And um, he got to work on 32 minutes. He, he then sent off Steve Mounier for a slightly raised stud, uh, which... To be fair, it's a contentious one. You know, some pundits will say that it was a sending off, but the majority felt like it was it was harsh. But a couple of minutes later, Alex Pritchard's about to tap in into an empty goal, and uh, Pascal Gross grabs him round the neck and, and rags him to the ground. It's not only a penalty, but a blatant red card as well. Uh, at that point, we'd have had a chance to go two nil up, and you know, uh, ten men versus ten men, and the game all of a sudden looks completely different. But uh, it didn't happen. Um, Oliver didn't give it and Brighton scored four minutes into injury time of the first half and then won it in the second half. You know, Brighton ended up deservedly winning that game. Mounier. Good challenge by Bissouma. And Mounier in. And it's a red card for Steve Mounier. Well, he has caught Bissouma on the shin. In it goes from Moy. Oh, and Pritchard's there. Huddersfield wants a penalty. They're not going to get one. 
And really, when you think of that, that game in isolation, it shouldn't matter. You know, that it's just one game. What David Wagner sides were really good at was drawing a line in the sand and moving on. That was one of the great things about the promotion side and how we stayed up. We take a, we take a hammering, doesn't matter, draw a line, move on. And, but with this one, we, we started missing Mounier through suspension and we got players start to get injured. And all of a sudden, this small squad started to unravel. Aaron Moy, you know, everything's built around Aaron Moy for us and, and still is really, uh, even though he's not been there for a year. And everything was built around him and he got a knee injury. And all of a sudden, that in play where we were on 13 points, um, we, uh, that, everything just went spiraling. And then, we had, and then we actually got one more point in the next 13 games. Um, we just genuinely couldn't recover. So 3.30 p.m. on the 1st of December, we sat in 11th on 13 points, looking into the top half of the Premier League. And then we didn't pass the 13-point mark until the 26th of Feb, you know, 13 games later. Um, we lost the best manager we'd ever had, or probably had since the 1920s, since Herbert Chapman. You know, what people might throw in one or two names in and amongst. Um, we had a nil-nil draw at Cardiff, which, which saw him off, where another referee, uh, Anthony Taylor, gave us a penalty with a couple of minutes left. Um, and then he allowed uh, the linesman to change his mind, and the linesman was 30 yards further back on field from the decision as well. And it's when all of a sudden you've got a, a steady stream of refereeing decisions going against you, injuries, budget constraints, and it just broke David Wagner completely. And the problem was because we didn't have a director of football, we had no succession plan either to David Wagner. And the last person to do a succession plan was Stuart Weber, who was the who's now the Norwich director of football, very well thought of. Uh, and he was our director of football when David Wagner almost left to go to Wolfsburg back in 2016. And he drew up a succession plan, which was number one, Daniel Farker, who was the uh, Dortmund 2 boss at the time. And then uh, number two, Jan Sievert. And the club went back to a plan whereby we were classed as a smaller championship club, if you like, and, and decided to follow through with that. And as Graham's mentioned, it's probably the biggest mistake that the club have done um, in terms of managerial appointments, going back to uh, uh, another one on my list, which I'll come to in a bit. But uh, that really, that, that season really broke Huddersfield Town Football Club and and like I say my my if you like my the selections I've chosen aren't just sort of moments in time if you like there it's like a prolonged period of agony uh, and you know from from that 1st of December uh, date onwards I think Huddersfield Town have been falling ever since and it's the tailspin that we've not really been able to get out of. Yeah, I mean I don't I don't like to put words in your mouth or use hyperbole but what I heard is basically Michael Oliver destroyed your football club. He, <laughs> Michael Oliver, um, <laughs> called David Wagner the morning after the game and apologized for getting uh, three big decisions wrong. Oh, that's um, always really comforting when they do that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I, uh, that, I that's even worse because you, you know. But, uh, but yeah, no, Michael Oliver didn't destroy it. We we destroyed ourselves really through poor planning. But that was the trigger, if you like, for uh, Huddersfield Town to come crashing back down. And it's uh, one of the first times you've wished VAR existed. Yeah, I think is the thing that that game against Brighton, particularly if if VAR had been there, I don't. Mounier was, in my opinion, never a red. It would have been a yellow. Some referees would probably have let it go. To be honest, they said you're a centre forward, do it again, you get a yellow. Definitely a yellow, in my opinion, not a red. And like you say, the Pritchard incident. I mean, why anyone needs to wrestle Alex Pritchard when he's four foot <laughs> nothing anyway? You can just put him in your pocket. But it was it was so blatant and. 
the the problem one of the things my bugbear as a town fan is the number of times two things piss me off every time I leave the stadium is the number of times people are not that bothered if that we've lost if Leeds and Bradford haven't won because <laughs> that always irritates me. But the other one is the number of times when we blame a referee and you think, well, the referee didn't put the ball in our net three times. But on games like that, you just think it's hard enough being Huddersfield Town in the Premier League. Yeah. It's t- it's really hard enough sometimes that when you get such obvious decisions going the wrong way, it's just, you know, and, and like if it happened this season to, to Fulham or whoever, it just neither of those decisions would have stayed the same. So it's just in that way, it's bad luck. But, you know, that season... I think it felt like over the Christmas period we gave up. That was when Aaron Moy got injured and you were talking about it, Matt, and we knew we were going to be losing him in the January because he somehow playing for Australia, he was going to be, was it, in the, was it the Cup of African yeah, the Nations Oceania or whatever? Cup. Or, Oceania, Oceania Cup or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. whatever. I'm not sure Australia playing the African well, Cup. They don't, yeah, but they don't fit anywhere, do they? But anyway, <laughs> um, we knew we were going to be losing So there we go, yes. They're in Eurovision, exactly. <laughs> um, but we just, I mean, in that January, we signed two players. We signed Jaden Brown from Spurs, who's a young left-back who was never going to threaten the first team. Um, and we signed Carlin Grant on the last day of the transfer window. We signed Carlin Aaron Grant Moy's Richie. replacement, though. Don't forget that one. Who's Aaron Moy's replacement? Is that, is that forgettable? Uh, Jason Punchin. Oh, yeah, on loan. <laughs> exactly, yeah. 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 Um, that, wasn't, that wasn't a good one. I mean, I'm... I, I'm I'm over twenty stone and I'm faster than Jason Punchin was when he joined us in that January. It's you know his, his lack of mobility. It, like I say, he could have come from the hospice. Um, so it was it was awful. But we didn't have any plan, and we didn't. In that summer, we bought in like like Matt said, we bought in these wingers that were potential. We 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 signed impressive YouTube videos, is what we signed. We paid twenty five million quid for a pair of players who. Look good on YouTube. I Not still maintain George at some cousin, point. Is it? Yeah, exactly. It Not close. quite. Um, but but I mean, in fairness, the two of them had done all right in France. But mm, yeah. what we didn't sign was players who knew the Premier League, who could play in the Premier League, who were maybe finishing their careers at Spurs or someone like that, and wanted to just move down a little bit but stay in the top flight. We didn't bring in anyone on a loan. I remember at the time, Danny Drinkwater, I think, was getting no football at all at Chelsea. And he'd been at town before on loan. And I, players like that, you just think, stick him in the middle of the park and at least we might look like a football team again. And we didn't show any ambition to do that. And and it was just depressing. But it got to the stage where it went beyond depressing. We all just started laughing about how bad we were. You know, I think the number of times when we actually, as a crowd, started chanting, we scored a goal. On a point yeah. per game basis, Huddersfield are the worst ever Premier League football team or something. No, no, that, 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 was, that, was, that was another that. talk sport yeah. propaganda thing that it was based over the two seasons we're in the Premier League and they're comparing it against other teams that have been up and down in one season. But... And talk sport don't like us, they never have. Sorry, no, I'm, sp- I'm spreading fake news. I shouldn't do that. that. that <laughs> it's that prick from Peterborough that doesn't like us. So, um, you know, it, it used to cause Cruddersfield or something. You know, just like oh, Jason Cundy was that, wasn't it? He, uh, no, was he that Cundy, our, was uh, it? Yeah, he won our Whopper of the Week uh, competition. Uh, uh, did, uh, did Jason Cundy for his, uh... football mind. I think I think that Derby <laughs> were a worse team, um, but you know, if we do, we really want to split hairs. We were awful. We, we were awful. Yeah, it makes we no have, odds, does it? You know, but we kept we kept hoping that now now and again we might turn a corner, and and it just ended up being a long straight road to oblivion, really. So. Mm. So Matt, you said there's kind of a thread running through yours. So, I, yeah. What, what's yeah, the thread? Yeah, yeah. Was it was it that 
you, you kind of have hope and it's shattered? Or? It's no, yeah, well, it's every time that something looks like it could be good, we manage to absolutely devastate ourselves with, with stupidity. Um, there, are, there are a number of different things. I've got a, a hodgepodge of, of stuff back through history, and I'll, I'll very quickly run through. But the, the, the sort of ones that made my shortlist but not quite at the end were in, in 1919, our owner at the time, you know, it's another ownership thing, decided the crowds weren't big enough. Excuse me. And um, because the crowds weren't big enough because everyone worked in a mill or factory on a Saturday, you know. So, um, And then he tried to Wimbledon to MK Donzers by moving and merging us with Leeds City to form Leeds United in 1919. But obviously the club was saved by uh, a couple of whip rounds in the, the factory and the mill. And uh, that ended up all right because Huddersfield Town ended up being the, the kings of world club football, if you like, in the 1920s. And, you know, no one can remember that now, but we'll still cling to that until uh, until the dying day. But At least we're not scum fans. That's the it, thing. <laughs> yeah, so in 1928, an FA Cup final, uh, Blackburn striker Jack Roskamp absolutely batters the townkeeper into the back of the net from about five yards out to make it 1-0. It makes Nat Lofthouse's goal look like a like a handshake or a love tap it's it's ridiculous it's it's akin to a, a, a wwf bill goldberg spear or something it's 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 genuinely if you look at it on path news it's that it's that long ago you have to look at it on path news but and i might be overselling it slightly but uh town went on to lose the game um but you know uh, the, there's a couple of other things you could mention we didn't have a penalty for three years at one point you know due to <laughs> due to things in the 90s um John Worthington was once sent off for shooting on BBC on on uh, you know in an FA Cup game against Akron and Stanley and the FA and the FA then uh, whoever the panel was still didn't overturn the decision which despite Mike Lawrence and saying it's the worst decision he'd ever seen live well like kicking the ball away Van Persie he <laughs> sat up for a volley and he went to volley the ball and he was, and then a, a player ran into him at the same time and the referee saw it that he kicked the other player in the air but he didn't they just ran into each other and he right. got sent off for trying to aim a volley it was. I can't find that on YouTube anyway, but it'd be interesting to see that again. Um, but yeah, so the, the other thing I had was um, on the 12th of October, 1987, Huddersfield appointed an ex-England striker as manager called Malcolm McDonald. You know, he's a bit of a Fulham legend, played for Arsenal, you know, England international, uh, Super Mac. He came in and he said uh, in his press conference, I'll have Brazilians playing for Huddersfield Town, uh, indicating that he was going to take us to the top flight, you know, with, with a bit of style. Um, sadly, Antonio Careca, Zico and Socrates never materialised uh, and one month after he came in, we travelled to Man City in a league game and lost 10-1. Um, that was, you know, unsurprisingly, that's our heaviest ever league defeat. Um, we, oddly, we got Man City in the FA Cup third round that season and we took them to two replays and, and beat them 1-0 in the home game. But that we only won six games that season under Malcolm McDonald. Unsurprisingly, we were relegated uh, with the, with our worst ever football league record. You know, not taking the Premier League into account, uh, with just six wins in, in forty four games and conceded a record hundred goals in the process. And we finished bottom by fourteen points. Um, that was a a bit of a stinker from us. Um, but number two on my list, um, <laughs> so I've got this. This, like I say, this is therapy. I could go on forever with with some of these, but. Uh, the, I, I don't. Know, I, I don't think Graham's been a town fan for quite as long as me, have you, Graham? So I don't know if you remember the two thousand two thousand one season, um, which was which was a really interesting one. So the year before, again, this is another ownership, you know, sort of organisation thing kicking in. I, I will say though that our ownership through Dean Hoyle in the Premier League was was great. You know, there's, there's never going to be any digs at particularly at, at Dean who helped us, you know, get from League One to the Premier League. But we'll go back to two thousand. Uh, February 1999, we had a um, 
an owner came in uh, Pace Micro Satellites. Uh, he was the owner of, you know, they used to sell satellite dishes, uh, called Barry Rubery. He'd taken over the club and, uh, you know, we had, we had fireworks on the pitch for an FA Cup game against Wrexham. And it promised this whole bright new era, you know, aiming for the Premier League and everything looked great. And this is, this is my theme where everything all of a sudden looks great on the on face value. And then you, you dig a little deeper under it and then things tend to go wrong. Uh, you know, we were linked with Henrik Larsson and Eddie Sands, you know, top international players. You know, we're, we're, we're in the second tier and we've been linked with these players in the paper. And, and usually at that time, links were a little bit more, had a bit more substance than, you know, than they see nowadays on, on social media. And um, we, we, we went and got Steve Bruce as manager. We, we did this poach, not poach thing from Sheffield United, which, um, caught, you know, ruffled a few feathers. Um, and in December 1999, we were top of the champ. Well, what, what is now the championship? And everything looked amazing. Um, by the end of January 2000, we'd managed to, everything had gone to shit, basically, uh, you know, in, 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 in sort of five or six weeks. And we'd sold the heartbeat of the football club, which was Marcus Stewart, to a promotion rival in Ipswich. Uh, he scored on his debut and then scored against us on his home debut for a start. Who lets them... Who, who sells a player when you're just about to, you know, someone as good as Marcus Jit when you're about to play them as well. And he scored the winner against us uh, a week later. Um, and then we managed to go from first in December 1999 to finish eighth on the last day of the season. So we managed to drop out of the playoffs and everything completely um, due, to, due to injuries and one thing. And, and the chairman pulling his investment out completely. Uh, we sacked Steve Bruce, replaced him with Lou Macari. Um, and then all of a sudden... <laughs> 12 months after being top in December 1999, we were rock bottom of the same league. And again, things started to look good because Lou Macari did okay to a point, you know, really boring football, but he pulled a real rabbit out of the hat by signing a, a you know, famous face of the 1990s, if you like, Peter Unluff, you know, who was quite big for the, in the Premier League with, with Coventry City, you know, good football. And he wasn't doing a lot at Birmingham and, um, we got him on loan and he instantly transformed us. You know, we couldn't buy a win. Um, so we'd, we'd won one of our first 19 games in the league that season. That's how bad we'd, how bad we'd become. And then when he came in from Peter Unlove's debut, we won five of the next six games. That's how key he was to you know, everything that we did. He was so important. And all of a sudden we'd gone up and we're, we're sat there thinking, oh, this is all right now. Everything's great. And then the phone rings and Trevor Francis drops the bombshell that he's recalling Peter Unlove because he wants to swap him for Curtis Woodhouse, you know, another player that you remember. And, you know, boxing now, oh, just retired from boxing a couple of years ago. Um, Town offered to buy him for the same value that they were going to swap him for, but Trevor Francis, Birmingham, no dice. Um, and then Birmingham recalled him. We couldn't replace Peter Unlove. And then Birmingham couldn't, and then Peter Unlove couldn't agree to the swap deal. So they ended up releasing him anyway. Um, for us to actually then go in and try and sign him, for us to turn it, for him to turn us down to end up signing for Sheffield United. So it's it's a complete, a complete mess of what what was happening at the time. And we ended up bringing Andy Booth back, club legend, Spurs legend, obviously as well, James. And um, James is going to remember. You know what? That, I was wondering when his name might come up. <laughs> so, yeah, Spurs, Spurs legend, know, four games and the fleet, was it? No, it's a bit of a digression, but like he is the name that's always put forward every transfer window. It's like the epitome of our fuckery in transfer windows. I remember it. I think I was still at school. I remember it clear as day. I was like, "What is this? What? Why?" 
Um, yeah. The best header of the ball in English football. That's who he was, James. Oh. <laughs> After Duncan Ferguson, probably. Anyway, yeah. Sorry, sorry for that digression. But... No, no. He's, you know, you got to throw Andy Booth in. You know, he's a Huddersfield legend. You know, great. Uh, in guy. many ways, he's a Spurs legend, but for just different reasons. For different reasons, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Town, after Peter Edmund had left, had, had replaced him with Andy Booth, and we'd gradually got away from the relegation zone, and everything started to look okay. You know, you're starting to look uh, for the next season. Uh, you know, Unlove and Booth would have been amazing for us, by the way, as a partnership. But anyway, we needed six points from our last six games to stay up, two wins. And with four games left, we'd beat, we beat QPR, we relegated QPR. Two relegation spots are filled at that point because Tramia were, were, were bad that season. Uh, it's looking good for us. We pick up a point away at West Brom, who are in the playoffs. Uh, Andy Booth scored. Um, loved the keeper from 25 yards. That was that's something he didn't do very often. But um, and then all of a sudden we go to a midweek game before you know we've got two games left. Um, the, rest, the last relegation spot is going to be filled by either Portsmouth or Crystal Palace, and then we're slightly in the distance, still catchable, but not realistically. You would probably say if you're a fan of Portsmouth or Palace. Uh, Palace looked like uh, they'd gone, to be honest. They sacked Alan Smith and they brought in Steve Kemba at that point. It was like they'd almost given up, if you like. They were, they were four points behind us with two games left and a goal difference of seven worse than us. So it was going to take a pretty strange quirk to relegate us. And, you know, we're, we're feeling quite confident at this point. Well, reasonably confident, as Huddersfield fans do, you know, or as, or as, or as confident as town fans can be. And, um, a strange quirk saw Portsmouth play Crystal Palace in the second to last game. And we were away at Wimbledon and uh, we got a point at Wimbledon. Uh, that's great. That's fine. We need one more. We need one point to stay up. Uh, anything other than a Crystal Palace win would see uh, us safe. Um, sadly, Portsmouth, uh, <laughs> Portsmouth obliterated themselves and, uh, and Crystal Palace won the game 4-2, uh, which meant that they were both two points behind us going into the last game of the season and we needed a point to stay up because we had a superior goal difference to both. Uh, so guess who should rock up on the last game of the season? Any, any prizes for guessing who? Trevor Francis and Birmingham City. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> so, and um, you can see what's coming here, can't you? Yeah. So Crystal Palace and Portsmouth had to win. Barnsley were in a relegation battle as well, but they'd pulled clear. They decided to play a youth team at Portsmouth. And Portsmouth battered them three or four nil, and it was the first game Portsmouth had won since beginning of March or something. You know, ten games. Um, you know, Barnsley are in, within the rights to do that. You know, you've got a squad, you can use it. No, no problems. Um, Crystal Palace were away at Stockport, and that game was nil nil right until the de- death. Huddersfield against Birmingham kicks off, and within twenty minutes, we're one nil down. Guess who's got the goal? Curtis Woodhouse. Oh. So yes. Andy Booth equalizes, oddly, Peter Unlove's replacement. And then in the injury time of the first half, Birmingham go 2-1 up. Guess who's heading the ball in at the far post? It's Curtis Woodhouse. And it's okay. Palace need to win. Stockport holding them to nil-nil. And then we're on the, uh, they're on the banking. You know, we're in injury time here. You're a little bit nervous, but it's okay. Palace aren't winning. And then everything goes quiet. And, like, and you can just you can, you feel that tension and that sign you're like shit what's going on here and all of a sudden there's people sort of on the tvs you're watching the tvs behind and they're like they're like palace of scored wilbraham with a flick on mullins with a header clear and that was a handball by hopkin and it was a crazy handball and yet he got away with it that could have been so costly this is doogie friedman and he's gone right the way through would you believe it 
It's a goal for Doogie Friedman that could mean survival for Crystal Palace. It's a controversial goal because there was a clear handball at the other end from David Hopkin, but you can feel the relief from Stockport to Selhurst Park, and all of a sudden, Huddersfield are in big, big trouble. And it's on TV downstairs, and it is the most blatant and disgraceful handball you will see. You know, it's uh, Stockport are attacking, and, and they play the ball to the edge of the box, and David Hopkin pretty much catches the ball and basketball dribbles it up to the halfway line. It, it's, I'm overselling it again, but it's, it's a really blatant handball. He plays in Doogie Friedman, you know, great striker from sort of that, that era in the championship. And uh, Friedman puts in Palace win 1-0, full-time whistle goes at Huddersfield, and all of a sudden we've got relegated from an impossible situation. And all of a sudden we're, we're, we're down. And it took us 11 years to get back to that. And we faced administration along the way and all sorts of nonsense in, in League One. And uh, all of that would have been avoided if that shithouse referee had blown his whistle at you know, the most blatant handball you'll ever see. But we can look back at it and laugh now because we, we've, we've, we've enjoyed the time. But uh, you know, in 2001, me as a, as a youngster wasn't, wasn't very happy with, uh, with those goings on. And uh, when Andy Ritchie was walking through and we've we, we seen the Phil Parkinson era, well, lack of Phil Parkinson era as well, you know, all of that could have been avoided all of that could have been avoided yeah. if if yeah. you know the basic decision would have uh, would have been given but it's football you, you you wouldn't change these things because you love the experiences of what you go through and i think as 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 fans of Huddersfield town you know and 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 spurs as well to an extent james you know all of these bad moments make the good moments so much better you know and you know the when we got promoted in 2012, it was such a relief to get back to the second tier after, you know, 11 seasons away and, you know, all, all things, all things forgiven. Up. We've had that, that promotion then was another one that was classic town because we should have gone up the year before, you know, potentially could argue we should have gone up the year before that. We certainly had, we sniffed around the playoffs with under Lee Clark and then he got obsessed with that unbeaten run that, Will, will be the only impressive thing on his CV when he stops being a manager. I don't know where he's managing now. It's like Sunday league level almost. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but he went on that unbeaten run and got more obsessed with not getting beaten than he did with winning games. And it was one of those where, a bit like um, Liverpool when they finished runner-up to City a season ago, if they'd just won, you know, thrown caution to the wind a bit more and won a couple more games instead of drawing so many, would have been up and then you know he leaves our top scorer Jordan Rhodes on the bench for the playoff final against Peterborough and again that's self-destruct mode you know you've got Jordan Rhodes who was the best striker at that level of football in the country phenomenal young player we'll leave him on the bench for a lone knee who Benicophobe hadn't really done anything on loan with us he'd looked all right and we're going and in was it eight minutes Peterborough scored three goals. Yeah, do you know I'm going to slightly disagree agree on that, but we don't have time, do we, James, to sort of go. I'll into fight you over depth. it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll fight over it. Yeah, fight, but, um, fight about it afterwards. But I just yeah, had a question on, on that. So, so when you did finally go up to the Premier League against all odds, was there a part of you that felt, oh, do you know what we've we've finally broken this this kind of tip last of ceiling curse? Yeah, and, it, and it's so or. Were you so, like most of us fans, so damaged that you thought, we're going to fuck this up? I know we're going to fuck it up. I, I said to my, I've got a, a neighbour across the street who's a, who's a town fan, died in the wall. And we do that thing of, you know, when you're, in, when you're going out to your car and you see each other and you're talking. And I said to him on the, the, I think it was the Wednesday after we got promoted, 
I said, I don't care if we lose every game in the Premier League as long as we have a, a good go. And I stand by that. And, and in that first season, we had a good go. And Ironically, we, in that second season, though, Graham, we pretty much did oh, we lose were everything. So poor. <laughs> we were so poor. Uh, but we didn't have a good go. I would, If we'd shown fight in that second season, I'd have been so much more proud than I was. But I think I've said this to Matt before, and, and, and I think we went up too soon. I think we should have. It, obviously, you can't plan, pick when you go up and you're not going to turn it down. But I think Matt's point earlier about being ill prepared, if we'd had one more, if we'd got to the playoff final against Reading, and lost on penalties. If Chris Schindler, the sexiest German ever to have played football, um, had had shanked it wide or over, and then they'd gone on and, and gone up, and we'd had another go the next year under Wagner, which I think we would have done, then I think we'd have been better prepared because we keep building. But the gap between where we were and where we were going to be was always going to be insurmountable. The fact that we stayed up is potentially a bigger miracle than the fact that we went up, I think. Um, so I'll always be proud of that. But now... It's not that long ago, but it feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a horribly long time ago, considering it's only a season and a bit. James, do you want to hear my number one? Because yeah, that, that yeah, might yeah. change very quickly. That, that might change your whole sort of opinion of that last question, actually. All right. Um, so, we're running out of time, so let's, yeah, let's... Yeah, let's... very quickly. So this, this, of course, is very speculative, as, as most things are, but... Uh, we're going to go back to the 1958-59 season. This is this is how you know, how we. Wow. Um, a few years a few years earlier, Huddersfield had finished third in the top flight, and you know we were pulling in some big crowds. And but in true Huddersfield style, we got ourselves relegated. And you know when something good appears to happen, it had it had tumbled down. And in walked a uh, a football manager at the time uh, by the name of William Shankly uh, to Huddersfield Town in the second tier. And uh, he did a solid job for a couple of years at Huddersfield, stabilised, and we were moving in the right in the right direction. And uh, he went to the uh, club board and said, uh, "I want to sign two players, uh, Ian St John and Ron Yates." Um, the board at the time had apparently quite apparently split, and uh, they turned down investment opportunities from David Brown in Huddersfield, uh, the grandson of the uh, uh, David Brown himself, uh, who um, you know make gears and all sorts and tractors in, in Huddersfield, and they were probably quite well off at the time. Uh, and uh, Shankly wanted around £40,000 for both players. Uh, the board decided against it, and the story goes that he was so annoyed in the boardroom, he broke the arm of the chair, uh, resigned and walked out. Um, and he went to Liverpool, a team that Huddersfield had just beaten 5-0 uh, the season before with 10 men. Uh, there's a quote attributed to Bill Shankly, um, where he's alleged to have said that if Huddersfield would have allowed him to sign Ian St. John and Ron Yates to add to players already at the club, such as Dennis Law and Ray Wilson, England 1966 World Cup winner, then Huddersfield would have won the, one, the, would have won the Division I title five times on the trot. And there's a, there's a quote as well from me and John that says, uh, first Bill wanted to sign me when, I was, when he was manager at Huddersfield, but the pod wouldn't come up with the money. He told me that we'd have signed, if he'd have signed me and Ron Yates for Huddersfield, uh, things would have been different. Huddersfield Town would have been the Liverpool of today. And as a Huddersfield fan, you look back and you think, fuck, <laughs> you know, 40 grand, you know, that, that, that's it. You know, in, in truth, the, the post-industrial decline, you know, would have probably seen, would have been for Huddersfield and, you know, the maximum wage, et cetera. But, you know, three top flight titles, a couple of FA Cups, Charity Shields, UEFA Cup is what Bill Shankly won at Huddersfield. And, you know, we went up in 1970, but then got relegated, you know, in almost successive divisions, you know, successive seasons to the bottom tier. We, 
and then took 45 years to recover and while Liverpool are winning European Cups, etc. So it's hard not to think 40 grand, you know, what, what could have been. So, yeah, so Huddersfield Town could have probably been a bit different today, I think, James. I love that. That's, that, that's prime. It's always a story right there. <laughs> that's yeah. something so long ago. And what's, yeah, it seems... Still bitter. So- yeah, still bitter. Yeah, but on the bright side, everyone hates Liverpool. So, you know, you could have yeah, been... they're all right. They're all right. Everyone loves Jurgen Klopp, though. So it's like they go back to the Leeds thing, isn't it? So, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I find him disingenuous. Anyway. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, says the man with the, who supports the team managed by Jose Mourinho. <laughs> no, we, don't, we don't get to pick our management. It's all right. It's, it's, <laughs> watch the documentary. You'll, you'll fall in love. <laughs> um, I think I'm looking forward to that, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's good. Um, Cool. Well, look, I, th- I think we've done about an hour there. So that was that was awesome. I think what I've learned about Huddersfield Club, which I didn't know a lot about, is is that I think we've actually got quite a lot in common with Spurs fans and probably a lot of other fans. Is that you know sometimes we feel like things are on the up, things are looking good, and just have this way of shooting ourselves in the foot and. You We're know, almost so. always the, the architects of our own downfall. It's a, a what could have been story by Huddersfield Town, yeah. Yeah, and look, I, our listeners are getting very bored very quickly me saying this. I do not expect your sympathy at all. But we got to a Champions League final. It was that same moment where I think, finally, all the shit is behind us. We've done something. And then 30 seconds in, handball penalty. And yeah, but still- you got to a Champions League final. We got to an auto glass windshield windshield final in 1994 and still lost. So you know, levels. <laughs> <laughs> I, bet, I bet you've won more big games and trophies than we have. In the, in the if you won the playoff final, you've won. Got to go a long way back. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's an interesting quirk you're probably not aware of, James. But we got promoted from the bottom tier to the top tier uh, without scoring a goal in in play in successive playoff finals without scoring a goal. Penalty yeah, shootout yeah. every time. Yeah, penalty shootout every time. Yeah, we've never actually won a playoff final open play, have we? I don't think. Yeah, 95, uh, 95 beat Bristol yeah, yeah. Rovers. Yeah, two. Was that the Chris Booth? Yeah. Andy Booth's goal with a header, surprisingly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, boys. Well, look, before I let go, just quickly, um, just tell our listeners where they can find you on social media or, or whatnot so they can check you out. Yeah, at Takes That Chances is our, is our podcast. Um, you know, we, we, we tend to try and do. Uh, you know, one every week, um, mostly about Huddersfield Town. So if you're not a Huddersfield Town fan, you probably won't find it that interesting, to be fair. And mine is, uh, apparently I look like a shit rag and bone man. So my social media handles are at gag and bone man. Um, so you can find me on, on Twitter and Insta and all that. If you want to <laughs> see me topless with a big chain around my neck, that's the place to go. Uh, what's, a, what's a good rag and bone man look like? I don't know. I don't think there is one, is there? But I mean, he's got all the fucking money, hasn't he? So, uh, you know. I'm sat in Dewsbury, you know, he's. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which, I must go because I've got to let the kids out from under the bed. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, on, on that slightly uh, morbid note, um, thank you guys for coming on the show. It's Always Us is hosted and produced by James Regal and Jamie McDonald. This funky theme music was written and performed by Morrison Marr, a.k.a. Moss Tones on SoundCloud. If you've got any comments for the show or just want to share the pain supporting your team, you can find us on Twitter at It's Always Us Pod or email us at It's Always Us Pod at gmail.com. And of course, please support us by subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a rating and review. Thanks for listening and see you next time.